Sometimes cases I cover here on Stolen Lives stick with me for reasons I cannot explain. Agitacia is one of those cases I can never shake, and I can't say why in particular. Maybe it's his family's pain. Maybe it was the mystery of it all. If you know me, I'm quite fond of an unsolved cold case. Or maybe it was Aggie's sweet little face that I instantly fell in love with. Ask me, top five unsolved cases I want solved. Beaumont Children, Amy Bradley, Alyssa Navarro, Brendan Swanson, Aggie Desir. Five very different cases, but five I check up on regularly. So, on one rainy February afternoon, I stumbled across a story we will unpack today, and it reminded me so much of Aggie. A close-knit family. An isolated community with nothing close by but woods and a military base. No reason for a stranger to stumble across an innocent child. Everyone looked out for everyone. Your child was my child. A village raising the children in the community. You let your child wander openly because there wasn't always an adult watching close by. But then, how did not one but two children go missing, without a trace, while walking to a park in September of 1962? How did no one see anything? Did the children get lost in the woods and succumb to the elements? Did they wander a bit too far and one or both had a tragic accident? Or was there something more sinister at play? This is Diana Remark's story. Diana Moon was born September 5, 1955, to mother Margaret Moon. Not much is known about Diana's father, except that he and Margaret divorced when Diana was only a toddler. He moved to Tennessee, but still remained a part of Diana's life, and she would visit with him frequently. Margaret would go on and remarry to Ronald Yoli, who was a Marine Lance Corporal. Robert absolutely adored Diana and treated her like she was his own. January 9th, 1960. Mark Yoli was born and Diana could not have been happier to have a little playmate, a partner in crime. The family was perfect. The two children were affectionate and trusting of others. This was a time before parents had all the concerns we have today. Stranger danger was not a thing. Children were taught to trust adults and be respectful. Diana was also known to be a risk taker. She had no fear and she would often wander off for adventures. She loved exploring. And when Mark started walking, he would join his sister. The family were living in military developments because of Ronald's job. They weren't concerned because they knew they were safe, and often the children were back before Ronald or Margaret even noticed they were gone. In my research, I read a couple of times the siblings went out on their adventures. Diana was found taking a nap in the neighbour's car. Another time, after a panicked search, both Diana and Mark were found snuggled and asleep together under a large tree. Everyone knew and were fond of the Yoli children, and they would keep an eye on them if they saw them out together. September 1962, when our story takes place. The family were living on the 700 block of Butler Drive in the Midway Park Marine Housing Development in North Carolina directly across the street from Camp Lejeune, where Ronald worked. Again, this was a large military development, full of families that there was always plenty of people about, and military families tend to look out for each other, often bringing Diana and Mark back if they wandered a bit too far from home. 
September 13, 1962, 3.15pm. Diana and Mark told their mother they were going to the playground. Now, this playground was in the development and it was always packed with children. Diana and Mark were mainstayers there and because there was no shortage of adults about, everyone watched everyone's kids. Margaret had no issue allowing her children to go alone. If anything, she was relieved that Diana was acting more responsible and actually telling her they were going to go this time. Their only instructions. They were to go to the playground and straight home again and they had to be home by supper, about an hour later. The siblings were not the type to miss a meal, so they promised they'd be back in time. When the children hadn't returned by 4.30 when Ronald returned home from work, they were concerned, but surely they wouldn't be long. Maybe they got caught up with the game, but when another half hour passed, Ronald and Margaret decided to walk towards the playground, completely expecting to see them still playing, oblivious to the worry they were causing their parents. But they weren't there, and none of the children that were there had seen them. In a panic, Ronald and Margaret searched the area and the usual places Diana and Mark would explore, but to no avail. It was clear the children were nowhere to be found. At 6pm, Ronald called the military police and reported Mark and Diana missing. News spread of the missing Yoli siblings quickly. As I said, military families are close and everyone wanted to help in the search. Military police and almost 200 volunteers searched. The initial thought was they most likely wandered into the wooded area that surrounded the development, and they had gone too far and gotten lost. Everyone thought they would be found soon. Children, when they are lost, they don't tend to keep walking, they stay put, scared and waiting for an adult to save them. Even though Diana was daring and adventurous, she was still a kid, and Mark was only small, and he couldn't have walked far until he tired. But as night fell, there was no sign of the missing siblings. The following morning, the search resumed, and the number of people involved in the search had increased significantly. More than 100 men from the 2nd Marine Division, where Ronald worked, arrived to help their co-worker. The extensive search continued all weekend. Marines, police and volunteers had been searching through more than 100 acres of wood and swampland, walking shoulder to shoulder. Any space that looked large enough for a child to crawl into was investigated. Boats had been scanning the area around the East Coast Creek. Helicopters flew over the woods and swampland. Military personnel used jeeps to circle the areas surrounding the base, expanding the search radius each time around, eventually searching a 10-mile radius of Camp Lugene. Said Lieutenant Stackpole at the time of the search, quote, So far there are no leads and no clues to the children's whereabouts. We're just searching out all the places where two children could have crawled. Unquote. Each investigator was assigned two Marines. As the investigator interviewed the residents in each house, the two Marines would crawl under the houses and look for any sign of the children. And this would happen at least three times at each home. For the time period we are looking at, the search for Diana and Mark was impeccable. But there were no leads. All investigators knew where the children were last seen walking towards the playground but no one saw them actually getting there. But then, how can two children be abducted from a crowded military development without anyone seeing anything? There was simply no evidence of an abduction. 
There were no suspicious people hanging around. No one had seen anything unusual on the day the children went missing. But then again, if they weren't abducted, where were they? Diana was a wanderer, but she'd never left the confines of the base before, and it didn't seem likely two young children, with one only being a toddler, could have gone far enough to be outside the search perimeters. And with the housing development being surrounded by woods, actually this case reminds me so much of the disappearances of Lemoyne Allen and Crenice Jordan that we covered way back in episode 35. But in both of these cases, how could these children just disappear with no leads, nothing, no evidence of their whereabouts at all? By Monday evening, the ground search was discontinued. Ronald's parents flew in from Ohio to support the couple and handle the media inquiries. Ronald and Margaret were truly and understandably devastated, because of the length of time and because there was no clue as to where Diana and Mark could be. The State Highway Patrol also became involved. They issued an all-points bulletin throughout the entire state. All law enforcement officials in North Carolina were asked to be on the lookout for the missing pair. Diana's father was interviewed in Tennessee, but he was cleared as a suspect. Honestly, him taking this doesn't make sense, although I do understand why he would be questioned. But his relationship with Margaret was good, and he saw his daughter whenever he wanted. Mark wasn't his son, and given Mark was only two years old, he could have easily just taken Diana, and Mark wouldn't be able to give a description. He could have easily enticed Diana away on her own, without Mark even being collateral damage in the abduction. And the fact neither child has been seen in more than 60 years, I don't think this was an abduction to start a new life and raises their own situation. Unfortunately. Not knowing where else to turn, investigators turned to a psychic, who said the children were taken by gypsies. This idea was supported when a state trooper in South Carolina called in a tip, stating they had seen a group of migrant workers travelling in a caravan in their area. With them, they had two children who matched the descriptions of the Yoli children. Investigators, along with Ronald, went down to meet with them, and everyone truly believed this would be case solved, that the children had been found. But as soon as Ronald set his eyes on the children, his hopes were dashed. It wasn't Diana and Mark. After this, their case would go cold for decades. 1992, seemingly out of nowhere. Investigators received a tip they would hope would bust the case wide open. The investigators only ever had one suspect, a convicted child pedophile, Henry Morris Hunt. He was a popular suspect as he only lived 13 miles away from Camp Lejeune at the time, so him taking the siblings was not out of the realm of possibility. But unfortunately... Investigators did not have the evidence to prove he abducted Diana and Mark, so the lead dried out. But while on his deathbed in October 1991, 85-year-old Hunt confessed to his stepdaughter that he had once picked up a boy and a girl near Midway Park. He claimed he only wanted to take the children out fishing in his boat, but then the younger boy had fallen into the water and accidentally drowned. Hunt alleged he then panicked, and killed the older girl so there was no witnesses. He then hid their bodies in a rock mine near Maysville, just over 30 miles from Camp Lejeune. Now, given Hunt's background, this story makes no sense at all. 
But what it did give was investigators hope. Ronald and Margaret had since passed away. Many believe from a broken heart as they never recovered from the loss of their children. But investigators believed that if they could find Diana and Mark's bodies, they could lay them to rest with their parents, finally reuniting the family. A team was sent to the rock mine, but unfortunately so much time had passed and the landscape had changed dramatically in the decades since the siblings went missing, due to rainfall and just natural land movement. The lakes and quarries that fed into the mine had changed a lot. So, if Diana and Mark were in fact placed in the mine by Hunt, it would be near impossible to find them. Said Sheriff Ed Brown, quote, I've read about miracles in the Bible. I believe in miracles. And I believe it would take a miracle to ever find these children. Unquote. 2011. After Hunt's old home was torn down, investigators conducted a dig, and they did find small bones on the property. Again, there was that hope there'd be answers finally found in the 50-year-old case. But the forensic testing was returned with no answers. The bones were animal bones. Now, we do know criminals confess to crimes they don't do. But despite the lack of evidence, all we have is that deathbed confession, where he doesn't name the children he allegedly killed and buried in that mine. But police don't believe Hunt made it all up. Most investigators in the case believe that Henry Morris Hunt was responsible for the murders of Diana and Mark. And because they can't prove it, and probably never be able to now given Hunt is dead, unfortunately this case will remain unsolved. At the time of her disappearance, Diana Moon Yoli was seven years old. She was three foot eleven and seventy-nine pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing shorts and either a white or print blouse with white sleeves. It is reported as both. If Diana is still alive today, she would be 67 years old. At the time of his disappearance, Mark Yoli was two years old. He was two foot six and 30 pounds with dark brown hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a t-shirt and brown shorts. If Mark is still alive today, he would be 62 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearances of Diana Moon and Mark Yoli, please contact the Onslow County Sheriff's Office on 910-455-3113. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. 